and welcome to The Long Road Podcast. The journey goes ever on with The Long Road. This episode, Kev gets his power tools out. As The Long Road look forward to our impending American Wilderness Odyssey UK tour, we have a chat about what makes a great gig as a performer or as an audience member and those magical moments that sometimes crop up. Steve Bonham takes us on a trip to Nowhere Town, his latest new song, uh, and Kev Moore picks up his Camino Trail the very next day after his epic 35-kilometre slog, and the bishop, that's me, I talk us through the therapy of making croissant. The Long Road podcast is exploring the world of the troubadour, the adventurer, the vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. If those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We are embracing all of those things, we're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you join us on the journey. Greetings, I am Chris the Bishop Lydon. Welcome back to another slice of silliness from the long road. Fabulous to have you with us, wherever in the world you are right now. The eagle-eyed amongst you have spotted that we've gone back to the very original name of the podcast, the Long Road Podcast. You know, it's just simpler all round. Um, now, it takes the uh, the sort of podcast technology around the world a little while to catch up. So some places you might still see the old name for a little while um, or the old imagery. Uh, but hopefully it will all filter through soon enough. Uh, now, not long until the Long Road are on tour across the UK. We're in the Midlands, the North, the Southeast, the Southwest. Uh, check out the tour dates and all the ticket purchasing information at thelongroadband.net slash gigs. Um, and if we're coming to a venue near you, please do try and support us if you can. Now, um, other news, our own Kev Moore has a new radio slot presenting two hours of classic rock, a topic that Kev is deeply knowledgeable on. Um, so check that out on Mondays at 11pm UK time at 365radio.co uh, and you can check out previous shows at mixcloud.com slash 365radio. Now, don't forget, if you like what we do as a band, you might consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash thelongroadband. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to hand over to me. Greetings, the long road. are back together again for another of our digital chats. We've got Steve at home in Derbyshire. Steve, hello. Hey up me duck. Hey up me duck. Ah, an old favourite of a welcome there. Good. And we've got Kev at home in Spain. How you doing, Kev? Hujambo. Right. Tell yes. us about that. Ah, well, that's that's Swahili, uh, an oft-used greeting in Kenya. Ah. Obviously, I use it on a regular basis. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think I think you've used it on the podcast before because it did ring a bell actually. And when you said Swahili, that rang that rang a bell. Yes, so maybe I, maybe I'll have to dig out in the archives which yeah. previous episode it was, and people can refer back. How are you both doing this week? Oh well, you know, oh, I'm, I'm hang, yeah. hanging on and uh, ploughing through the, uh, the the inferno that is our Spanish summer. <laughs> yeah, I was looking, Kev. Are you doing building works in this heat? I am. And and it's a it's a strange phenomenon is that you start uh, sliding around in your own perspiration because it, all the floors here <laughs> all the floors here are tiled and you're kneeling down trying to yeah. do things and you fall over. <laughs> it's, it's really strange. 
<laughs> well, I hope you're being careful with your power tools, if you'll pardon the expression. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So this week the three of us are going together. Well, because we're going on tour, champs, and the tour is getting Yay! closer and closer. Um, so after a, a long gap of not very many gigs at all, really, we are looking forward to getting out, getting our faces and our songs and our stories out in the front of people's faces, and hopefully that they'll enjoy it. So and our power tools. <laughs> yes, and Kev's, Kev's going to get his power tools out if everyone's interested in that. <laughs> be, um, so, attacking my acoustic guitar with a Makita. we are taking our american wilderness odyssey project on tour um so around the uk and we're looking forward to performing some gigs so do come and join us if you can tickets are available and all the dates are on the website at thelongroadband.net slash gigs uh we're in the midlands we're in the south we're in the southeast we're in the southwest we're in london I'm going to lots of places, so do join us if you can. Uh, but I suppose it got us thinking about, you know, live music that we've missed so much. What is it that makes a, a great gig, whether that's as a performer or as a, an audience member? What are those magic ingredients that make a gig great or memorable? And for some reason, I'm just instantly taken back to our um, Dublin Castle, Castle gig, Steve, as, as a performer. And just the <laughs> the bonkers night that that was and all the, all the elements that made that uh, an amazing night um, with the... The, the sweat dripping from the ceiling, the awesome sound guy who looked like he was, you know, just couldn't be bothered with anybody in the world, but did an absolutely sterling job yeah. of managing the sound. And then finishing the night off, you know, finding out that one of the one of the other bands had vomited on my keyboard. It was just, it was just <laughs> such a magical evening. It'll stay with me forever. The, the, the perfect um, punctuation to a gig. Yeah, right absolutely. And, and, and as I think on it, so many other little little sort of edges to that fractal story just get you can't you keep on zooming in, and there's more and more things. The van, the van broke down, and trying to find taxis at two a.m. and at just utter carnage. But what a fabulous evening. Um, so what. <laughs> what about, what about for you guys? What what's what makes a gig? Obviously, it's got to have a band. Got to be a band uh, or an act, and it's got to have an, an audience. And those two things have got to be in the same place, you know, uh, literally and metaphorically, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The great thing about live music, and we for, we forget this, I think, at our peril, is live music is that is that communal act of audience and act, you know, and. If your audience is in the wrong place, no matter how good you are, it's it's bloody difficult to, to, to make a show. And if the audience is in the right place but the band is useless, the, the, the disappointment is devastating. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I, was, I was reading something this week about, uh, you know, the perils of going to Van Morrison gigs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm absolutely with it. I, I, I've seen him do the greatest show ever and then be an absolute total arse. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and, and the effect on the audience of you know you're singing all the songs, but he couldn't give a wow, you know, quite frankly, uh, about what he was doing. And you know, you've both got to be committed. <laughs> That's the great thing about a great gig: the audience is committed, and the act, the artist is is committed. That's what makes the great gig. So when I've seen that happen, there's nothing, nothing touches it. I think human beings can do really. Yeah, for me, I I, I think. Um... I'm reminded of the words of the of the great. You'll remember this guy, Steve, the, the great Alan Smith, who used to write for the Telegraph. Oh yeah. And he uh, he once wrote about our old band with with our old mate Emma's Midnight Express. Uh, I think it was a gig we'd done at the Horse and Groom in Derby, and he he put the band respond to the audience responding to them, and it is that that kind of cyclical exchange 
between the act and the audience that that can create that extra something in the room you know it's it's that it's that weird kind of voodoo when when you you can rehearse forever and you can get a song to a certain level but until you've forged it in that white hot heat of an actual gig it's never quite in the set do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, yeah. so there's that, there's, there is that weird kind of magic that happens in a venue with a, with a live a live performance. And and for me, a great gig, it, it, can, it can hang on loads of different things. Sometimes it it can just be me having the best sound I've ever had and thinking how great I sound. And then that, that's <laughs> yeah. me. That, that's me. I've had a fantastic gig. The guy on the other side of the stage can be, you know, literally having a nervous breakdown because his monitors <laughs> have exploded. But I, I had a great gig. Thanks very much, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or it can be literally, you know, I, I can sound horrific but the audience have gone absolutely bananas and like, well, well okay then you know so it, it can be a number <laughs> of things but when all of those things collide but, but you're right kev that it's we can be in a room rehearsing and playing our socks off to to nobody and it feel a certain way but you yeah. can't you you genuinely can't practice what it feels like to do that in front of people no because no, as yeah. much as much as you say to yourself right even if we say right real proper dress rehearsal here you're gonna um, you, we're going to make it feel as real as possible. It's like it's not as real, and it's not real until you've got those hundred people in the audience, even five people in the audience. It, it changes things, it and does. you it's you can't put your finger on what it is that changes, and you you can't reproduce a you know. There's not a sound effect you can play into the room that makes that, or a, a, right. a you know a visual effect or a, a smell or anything. It's the fact that humans are in a room together. It creates a tension. It's not that's not necessarily a negative thing, but it creates yeah. a, a tension. Is that what's coming? What's happening? Uh, yeah. yeah, it happens all the time when you're in a room of people just ch- chatting, milling around, sit, sitting around before a gig, and then something happens and everyone starts to go quiet. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. that's because the the house lights have gone down. A very clear indication that's going to happen. Um, but sometimes it just happens naturally. It's sort of around the time when the gig is supposed to start, everyone goes yeah. quiet, and then there's this there's a whole series of sort of unwritten rules, yeah, sort of tra- training that we're all put through mm-hmm. about how how you approach that then, and then you you sit down, yeah, you're quiet get and get your this. get your drinks ready, get your seat, ready, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the air and, of expectation. And, and, that lovely? and then is that it... first moment when the when it is quiet. And the mm. first sound happens, whether yeah. that's, yeah. you know, applause because somebody's walking on stage and somebody off stage starts the applause or the first sound of a, the first word of a you know, monologue or the first note of a thing. It's that it's the moment before that happens is the, where that tension is. Yeah. And that's and, and human beings love that. I think. Yeah. I think we love this yeah. tension and release. Yeah. And that's what and that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's getting those. Is it Absolutely. dopamine? Is that the good one? The, the hit yeah, the brain so, that we yeah. love? Yeah, one, yeah. Uh, uh, there's a lovely French word. So it's in English as well. well you know, all the, all the posh words uh, are French, aren't they, in English? <laughs> Complicity. There's, it's that idea that you're kind of all on, in on a secret. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, and I love that feeling. A great gig has that set up sense of all being on, in on a secret. And you realise you're never going to be able to explain this to anybody else. Uh, you can go home and you go, that's a great game, blah, 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 blah. But you know you cannot, you cannot... No, you can't put that into that. words. I also think yeah. it's really sad. It's sad these days when you go to a gig and you see people holding their iPhones up and or, you know, other phones mm. are available, <laughs> um, video in the gig, and you think, what are you doing that for? 
you're not here if you're worried about whether you're getting a good picture of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, one of my favourite stories you know, of getting that complicity going, years and years ago uh, with my old mate Tim, uh, we were we were playing a gig, and Tim was a fiery, fiery fiddler. He was a really good fiddle player. And we, were, we did this tune, you know, as usual, from a purist point of view, playing it far too fast. We we got to the end of the, the piece, and it was a pub packed. I mean, it was a big pub, concert room in a pub. And they just went wild. I mean, absolutely wild. <laughs> People standing and shouting and whistling and... <laughs> and, 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 and and, and, and then clothes it, and underpants. Yeah, yeah, it was like that. And 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 I, but I, I thrashed my guitar with an inch of its life, and I was sort of bending down like that, just slightly tuning it. And all of a sudden, I heard everyone go really quiet. And I turned around, and Tim oh, no. was balancing the bow of his fiddle on on his first finger, and it was just hanging there. And everyone's going, oh. <laughs> and then, and then. He took his fi- his finger away. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say something else. And the bow just hung in the air. And at like, well, this point, everyone's going, what's going on here? And then I looked up and he'd seen there was a beam above it, uh, above the stage, you know, uh, an old wooden beam, it was an old pub, and it had a nail in it. And he'd hooked it <laughs> on the... <laughs> and, and, but that moment, and then people started to work out, yeah. you know, what was happening there. Yeah. And, you know, again, the laughter. I mean, I mean, he conned the whole pub. It was beautiful because that was... You couldn't... Yeah, those kind of happenstance. any of that. Yeah, those moments. You couldn't take that and, and bottle you it. Can't, you couldn't no. do a film of it. You couldn't... I like, had exactly it was that. His I instinct. had exactly that at a gig with Tubeless Arts back in the 80s. And, and my bass accidentally became entangled in the tassels of the, of the curtains above. Uh, of the curtains, And, right. and yeah. it was like starting to... It was starting to feed back. Uh, and I thought... Dare I do this? And I just walked away from it and thought, don't fall, yeah. for Christ's sake. Don't drop. <laughs> and, it, and it literally hung it like that. It hung in the air and the audience are going oh, bonkers. You, you, couldn't, you can't script that stuff. They, they're just moments, yeah. you know. They're just beautiful moments. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. I think that's the thing that for us that we've missed about the live. It's all well and good, you know, doing the, doing the online shows is, is fine, it's good. Um, you know, being able to... Mm. practice ourselves sort of in private that's fine you know getting together but actually being in a room with other people who haven't yet been on the journey and we're going to take them on the journey yeah we can hear i think you can hear the enthusiasm with which we're speaking about live work how much we've missed it you know and how important yeah yeah absolutely i was listening i was listening to um i listened to a podcast a few weeks ago um of somebody interviewing um laurie anderson you were yeah, yeah. Anderson? Yeah. Oh, oh superman um, yeah Amer- yeah exactly um, american artist musician uh, but she calls herself an artist really you know does all kinds of stuff not just musical visual and all kinds of things yeah and one of the things she was saying was and and, and i need to listen to it again because it was really at the time it really struck me as to what what any of us are trying to do with with making music and she's just saying look first of all you've got to do it for yourself because you can't make art for other people because it just doesn't just doesn't work. It's inauthentic and doesn't get you anywhere. But all you can then do is offer it out to people, and people take part in it in what they're going to take and how they're going to take part in it. Yeah. And that is there's nothing else in human interaction that's like making art and sharing it. And it's terrifying and exhilarating in equal measure. And that's what we've been missing the last. Absolutely. 18 months yeah. is she, the is the terror and the thrill of 
of both sides of it, uh, and it's going to be amazing to be out there and get, getting uh, both of those in in varying measures, but hopefully it all equals out. On the road again, boys. On the road again. Indeed. It's, Can't it's wait. Be... See you all out there. Yeah. So, uh, song in the mix time again, where I offer up another item to my bandmates, Kev and Bishop, to see what they think. It's actually a bit like Bake Off, you know, waiting for the glare of a disapproval uh, because I've got the filling wrong or um, my eggs are too sticky. Hmm. Well, this week, uh, my song is called Nowhere Town, um, which I've just finished. Uh, I mean, just, I mean, like two minutes ago. It was inspired by my daughter Lucy, who's just got back from a holiday to Halifax. Now, there's nothing wrong with Halifax at all. I mean, it's a fine, little, proud northern town. But it's not necessarily a holiday destination. But times must, I guess, times must. But going to Halifax made me think of all those small industrial towns of the north. Hmm. Actually, I'm beginning to think when we say towns of the north, we we mean anywhere but the southeast of England, um, which, as you know, is still run by Normans, people in with double-barrel, wally-type names, who have a history of declaring places beyond the pale. I live in the English Midlands, and as far as they're concerned, we don't exist at all. I have never heard ever in my entire life the phrase, those Midland towns, or those people of the Midlands, or the Midland sense of humour, or, 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 or. But anyway, our towns, Midlands or North or otherwise, we have lots of them. Little places, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people. They usually grew up because somebody had planted a factory there first. Or next door to a little village where one day they're selling milk, butter and cheese and the next they're making steam engines. But over the years, of course, those reasons to be have disappeared. The mills have closed. The mines have closed. Steelworks have closed. The engineering works have gone. The potteries have closed. And we're left wondering where we've been and reminding ourselves frequently, as most people think down there, we are nowhere. Nowhere town Might be a dreamer Most likely you're a clown Cause it's always closing time In the smoky pantomime My heart is given over To searching summertime This nowhere town Sun is sinking It's just falling down 
Like the works across the road And the rest of this postcode Someone ends up crying In every episode again Shut the line some time ago When the last train steamed away Locked the doors on the picture house Showing fifty shades of grey And the Virgin Mary rang out her bell The moon slid from the sky Someone laughed in the shadows dark Murmured that's a lie That's a lie Nowhere town Gotta keep on drinking just to turn it around My mama said No matter where you've been Don't slide right into sin Keep your hands out of your pockets Watch out for Mickey Finn In this nowhere town Just listen to the mournful lonesome sounds Of the old men in the choir Who with their memories conspire To hold it all together Not sink into the mire again To shut the line sometime Ago, when the last train steamed away They locked the doors on the picture house Showing fifty shades of grey And the Virgin Mary rang out a bell The moon slid from the sky And someone laughed in the shadows dark Murmured that's a lie That's a lie Well that's a lie You know that's a lie That's a lie Welcome again to Kev's Cafe Corner. You join me on the Camino. It's Friday, October the 23rd, after the horrific previous day. Feeling more or less recovered after a good night's sleep, I nevertheless toyed with the idea of a day off, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Not quite yet. So it was time to leave Aberdeen and make for Villalba, being as I had itchy feet rather than tired ones. The weather remained reasonably kind. I stopped for lunch and I had the rare experience of crossing above the motorway instead of beneath it for once. I arrived in Villalba around 17.30. 21 kilometres done today. After the marathon 35 kilometres yesterday, it wasn't too shabby. And my body responded by crashing out immediately for two hours once I'd been allocated my bed. I decided to stay here for two nights to recuperate. But if I'm really honest with myself, it's not just that. As the goal becomes ever more tangible, ever more present in my mind, I just don't want it to end. Saturday, October the 24th. 
There's a few people around now. A little Spanish guy who seems to be cooking all the time and offering food to everybody. Lily and her owner made an appearance again. And three Germans who I came to know as Clemens, Alisa and Tim. I wandered around Villalba a little on my rest day, though not too much, having learned the lessons of Guijon. I had a lovely lunch at one of the few open cafes and bought some fruit, etc., for tomorrow's journey. Luckily, there was a fridge at the hostel, so I could keep it all fresh. Sunday, October the 25th, I awoke around 6am refreshed. I decided to go for a 30k stretch again, and I left the alberg at 7.30am. It was a very still morning, and it felt good to be out on the road so early. I left the village and walked across old stone bridges, past moss-covered houses and outbuildings rendered indistinct in the morning haze. I headed down a forest path, taking me away from whatever civilization still slumbered at this hour, and headed deeper into the greenery. Up ahead of me was a glade, eerily lit in the morning sunlight, and I suddenly saw two shapes stood still. They were two young deer. I caught my breath. It was a beautiful, almost holy sight. Time, for the briefest moment, stood still, and as we turned to regard each other, there was a connection. Then, before I could even get a photograph, they were gone in one graceful movement, disappearing into the undergrowth. I felt as if I'd been given one of nature's gifts. It stirred something in me, and I headed onward with renewed energy. Very little of today's journey was on the road, but after encountering the deer, I had to pound the tarmac a bit until Barmond. There, I found KM101, a fabulous burger place recommended to me by my Camino friend, Emile. It didn't disappoint. The owner, Hayhus, was an oracle of the Camino. I needed his advice, as I'd been cautioned, that if I took the wrong route to Alagoa, I could notch up over 40k. Jesus' info was super accurate, to the kilometre. He told me exactly where to turn off the road onto the trail and said that at a certain point, two Camino markers were set, side by side, and I should follow the left one. I did just that, but not before getting absolutely soaked, again, walking the road. In fact, despite a few sunny spells, it rained all day. The way through the forest, though, was beautiful, like Rivendell. Hidden chapels, stairways seemingly raised by sorcerers out of the roots and brightly coloured moss and lichen carpeting the stones. But I'm forgetting myself. Let's rewind a few, K, to a point back on the road out of Barmond. I arrived at the 99.987 Camino marker, and just a short distance back from that was a homemade stone marker for 100 kilometres and a small pile of keepsakes left by pilgrims. I dropped down to double figures, less than a hundred kilometres to go. What a feeling! So, back to the trail. Soaking wet, I continued on through the forest. As I finally emerged into a village, a small dog befriended me and walked by my side for the entire length of the village. I guess he'd been employed as the official pilgrim escort. I arrived at Alagoa around 4.30, a really good walking day despite the weather. It was a very modern alberg attached to an old pub cafe, nicely designed. I'd arrived ahead of the Germans and immediately got my sleeping bag, boots, clothes, etc. out to air and hopefully dry and gratefully jumped in the shower. About two hours later the Germans arrived and seemed surprised I'd arrived ahead of them. 
We all chilled out when we'd settled and sat around the communal table. I discovered they were Tim and Alyssa from near Dortmund and Clemens, an 18-year-old from Munster. I said to Tim, I know that area, I've played at the Grugerhalle in Essen. He nodded and then seemed lost in thought for a while. I could see the wheels in his head turning. That must mean, he said, that you're kind of famous. Kind of, I replied. It was funny. They were too young to remember Christie, of course, but it was fun to see their faces as I showed them their ZDF appearance. The young lad, Clements, i discovered, had walked all the way from his hometown in Munster in Germany. I think he'd set off in June. Tim and Alyssa had taken him under their wing for a couple of nights after they'd heard he'd slept on church steps, bush shelters and even goose farms. Alyssa worked for a German radio station in his area and so organised to do an interview with him as local interest. As we were sat chatting, the guy who'd checked us in brought us little skillets of hot roast chestnuts. A nice gesture. We all decided we'd walk together tomorrow to Sobrado, 27 and a half kilometres away. So let's see what tomorrow brings. In the intro for today's Bishop's Daily Bread segment, it was described as the therapy of making croissant. Uh, Now, I'm not really sure if it is that, but who knows, let's see what unfolds. I think this is my second attempt at making croissant from scratch, um, which was actually several months ago, back in May 2021. Uh, Luckily, I take pictures of just about any baked product that goes through my oven these days, so I can usually pinpoint exactly when something was. My first attempt at making croissants, however, was um, back in June 2020, when lockdown here in the UK was really starting to to bite. Um, Now, both attempts were inspired by a friend of mine who posts on their Instagram profile the the results of their baking efforts, you know, and pristine, glorious croissants appeared one day. Um, So attempt number one back in 2020 did not go well. Uh, Perhaps the recipe, perhaps the baker... Perhaps the circumstances, perhaps all three. Um, Attempt number two, however, in 2021, uh, much better. Uh, And now I actually sought out the recipe that my friend uses for their croissants. uh, And it was different in a few key aspects, so perhaps that's what helped. Um, Making croissants, it really is sort of mathematical, really, but with moments of sort of creativity, I suppose, like most baking, really. Uh, Perhaps that's why I quite enjoy it. Uh, see, now, unfortunately, podcasts being an audio medium, I can only really attempt to describe the results. Uh, but these 2021 croissants, they look pretty great, to be honest. Um, sort of striped, almost diamond-shaped, rather than perhaps the crescent that some might go for. Uh, texturally, the outside was good. I feel like they could have been a, a, a touch flakier or crispier. Um, the insides were nearly all spot on in my book. Very occasionally one was slightly doughier than I'd have liked, but lots of air, lots of lightness in general. I'm very pleased. They went very well with the obligatory long road apricot jam. Now, I'm really not sure why this apricot jam has entered into the long road world as obligatory, but it seems to be. Um, Anyway, so where does the the therapy bit come in? Uh, I mean, I'm sure therapy isn't the right word. 
but there, it's it's certainly therapeutic making croissants the long process of it all by hand um so working through something that you're not an expert in and being fine with not being an expert at it um improving at what you're doing learning as you go little things big things sometimes getting better at it getting better results attempt two was better than attempt one and i'm sure attempt three will be better still um people like what you've achieved and you can share in the joy of that uh especially when it's something handmade and it's food based and that's just deliciousness all around um but as good as the attempts are there is also that desire and the scope to get better improve to make the good even better and all this adds up to be one of those sort of i don't know great strands in the tapestry of life that makes it all tick along nicely i'd recommend it have a go making your own croissants definitely read the entire method for croissants before you start so you know how many days of your life this is going to go on for it's not that you're working for days it just the whole process takes from start to finish a few days what time of day you should or more specifically shouldn't start at so that you don't end up at 11 30 at night they're having to wait for a couple of hours for something to prove and then you've got to do something before you can leave it for longer um and also make sure you know how many large baking trays and how large you'll need them um and perhaps the most important thing of it all can you fit these large baking trays in your fridge all the rest, the types of flour, the types of butter, it all comes along. But some of those practical bits, they need to be front and centre, I think. In many ways, I'm already regretting not having made attempt three sooner, as I'm fairly sure I'd learn more quicker that way, doing the same thing, but more frequently. Um, I'd retain more of the little tricks and tips you find yourself learning as you as you do something with your hands. Um, but anyway, attempt two, these croissants, they were a great step along the journey uh, and I look forward to the next croissant adventure that's it for this week thank you for listening wherever in the world you are don't forget to subscribe to the podcast we're on Apple Podcasts SoundCloud Spotify Amazon Podcasts and YouTube the next episode will be out next Friday if you fancy buying us a coffee, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash thelongroadband. Uh, it's dead simple just to drop us a few quid to support what we do. It even accepts Apple Pay and Google Pay. Super easy. All of our music and merch is on Bandcamp, where you can help support a positive ecosystem for the music industry. Downloads, streaming, vinyls, CDs, the companion book, it's all there. So just head to thelongroadband.bandcamp.com. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. If you'd like to support us, become a Vagabonder. You'll get free digital stuff and merchandise in the post if you want it. Help us create something different, something that entertains and something that inspires others. Join us on the journey and release the Vagabond within. Patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds and explorers, for joining us on the long road. Remember, the world isn't beige. It's authentic, it's rich, and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with the long road. Bye for now. Bye.